Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit, where we take a sideways look on modern business, talking to founders and entrepreneurs about the problems they face and how they solve them. I'm Andy Ori, and alongside me is my co-host, Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. Hello, Pippa. And a quick reminder, if you like what we do here, please do rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at B-I-Z without B-S. Now, with that being said, our guest today is Jerry Hyde, dubbed as the most dangerous therapist in the world. Excellent. With 25 years clinical experience, Jerry rejects many of the conventionally held views of mainstream psychotherapy, an outspoken advocate of shamanic plant medicines. He believes for some people, a combination of deep psychotherapeutic work and psychedelic Ethogens is the best way to real, lasting, and positive transformation to their lives. Jerry works for couples and individuals, leads the largest men group practice in the UK, is a best-selling author, podcaster, and has recently co-made his first film, Make Me a Man, a documentary which aims to inspire men to be open with their emotions and share their story. We're in very good company indeed. Jerry, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I feel worn out by that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's quite impressive. Um, what I want to know is what are entheogens? Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that either. Eth- entheogen- entheogens, I, I should know, given that it's in my bio. Uh, I don't know what the um, literal meaning is. It's plant medicine. Okay. Posh, posh Greek word for plant medicine, I think. Yeah. It's, um, I guess it's deep psychotherapeutic is what cognitive but what counts as psychotherapeutic just just talking therapy talking therapy <laughs> so what it is we could have written that and you could and, have said that yeah. much easier and psycho psychedelic entheogens is psilocybin is mushrooms uh, is ayahuasca ayahuasca yeah I mean, finally, I, it's a good place to start because it's finally good to see. In fact, I've got my first client in that area. He was involved a lot in um, actually in Canadian legalization of uh, weed and things. But, you know, they're, they're on a mission really to, um, because Boris announced, uh, you know, Boris announced that we're now, you can now use them in trials here and stuff. So it's finally, it feels like after a hundred years of shunning them or however long it's been, thinking they're these terrible things, we're finally getting there that we can use them, you would hope. Yeah, I was listening to a Michael Pollan interview on a podcast, and I think it was him, uh, or James Fadiman, one of them, uh, was saying it's the f- really the first time in human history you've had something that's been exploding in the medical world which it was in the 50s and 60s, the, yeah. use of, the use of psychedelics that's just been shut down completely for yeah. 50 years. And now we've got this thing they're calling the psychedelic renaissance where people are starting to recognize this isn't just people doing it recreationally. There's huge advantages to using it in medical uh, situations. I mean, I have to say, you know, in many ways, it's it, it, they aren't, I mean, there is a recreational element to them, but the, these are deep experiences. Do you know what I mean? It's not something you do. Definitely, don't do it casually, kids. It's not. It's not <laughs> something to be done casually. You know. Okay, very good. And I feel that um, "Make Me a Man" is almost a controversial title for 2022. Is that? Is that? Does it feel? You know? Did it? Did it feel like a controversial thing to make? Yeah, it felt quite scary. I mean, I started making it on my own. I've often been asked. Uh, you know, approached by TV companies and film companies to film what I do. And I've always said no, because the minute you bring a camera in, it changes it completely. And then I was sitting in a group one night and I look, because I work with a lot of people in the arts 
I looked around and I realized we were a film company. You know, there was a cameraman and a lighting person mm. and a sound guy. So I said, oh, well, let's do it ourselves. So we started shooting it. And then I think I got cold feet because I realized that, and this was round about me too, and that was really kicking off. And I realized that if I was going to make it on my own, that it would have been defensive. You know, I think I would have made it from a, you know, we're not, we're not all bad, you know? Yes. <laughs> we're not all rapists. Yeah. Um, Some of us care. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and my partner's a filmmaker and a very good filmmaker. So it was a kind of, and I, she took a lot of coaxing. Uh, and I think, you know, I don't think she'd mind me saying she was quite frightened. Uh, probably more frightened than I was in a way. Was it the first time you'd worked together? Yeah. Yeah, and she she was frightened of the backlash, you know, of making yeah. making a film about men, yeah, the possible backlash. Isn't that crazy? It's a statement. Do you know what I mean? It's, well, it's you know, we think, can't we can't make a film about men. It's maybe. I I think you know personally, I think we deserve that a bit, quite yeah, a lot. Yeah. You know, That's all the films are about men. You eight could or ten thousand years of shit yeah. that we've perpetrated. There's there's an so appropriate. So agree with that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> there's an appropriate backlash, but it, we can't stay there. You know, and I think the women I talk to are as fed up as as perhaps men are. You know, about oh, this situation, you can't just stay in a in a kind of split or divided situation. So, you know, I'm I, to be honest, this is not why I made it. I'm not a very political. I've got very little interest in gender at all. Uh, I'm interested. I don't run men's groups because I'm. We, we don't sit around talking about what it means to be a man. Mm. You know. Uh, we sit around talking about how we become better people. but And the title isn't meant to be provocative. Uh, there's a there's a poem, a First World War poem, that's that's recited at the end of the film, and one of the lines in that is, uh, make me a man. Let's go into the whole how you ended up where you are thing. Pro- this is it. This is my first proper job. No, you never did anything. When else. I left school, when I left my very prestigious, expensive public school, you got half an hour with the, the um, what were they called, career coach. Yeah. And the guy just looked at me when you were unemployable. So I had a, I had a, a difficult time <laughs> at Bryanston, which I didn't get expelled because of my psychiatric record, which I could always kind of flag whenever I set fire to something or burnt something down. Or what do you um, mean? That they would then see if you're mad and you weren't mad? No, I think I got away with a lot of shit because I was on Ritalin. And, ah, okay. and because you know, they then couldn't they uh, could Well, they justify, went, well, you know, he's, he's got issues. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone else, they would have just... I did, I burnt the school dorm. But if they drummed you out, they would have been picking on the child with issues. I don't think it was that, even that. I think they genuinely thought there was something really wrong with me and that that explained it's good why... It's to know why, at school, isn't it? <laughs> that explained you why I kept burning things down. <laughs> so so I didn't get expelled, but at the end, they, the guy just looked at me and went, well, you're unemployable. And, and I took that... I what kind I, of shit career advice is that from the head of career no, but, advice? No, but it took... Well, after about, I would probably be homeless or kill yourself. Is this at but after about 10 years... this at 18? 18. Yeah. After about 10 years, I thought... That is the best careers advice anyone could have ever given me because it's true. Wow, okay. Yeah. Right? It is actually true. It saved me and a lot of people a lot of time. I never bothered to try and get a job. I never went to a job interview. Oh, you actually listened to the careers Did advice? You do uni? No. Did you go to no, 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 no. I went to art school for a year and then I dropped out and um, went and entertained myself um, with a lot of narcotics um, for a long time and had a really good time, actually, most of the time. But I'd never wasted time trying to get a job. It was part of me that felt hurt and like I would like to get have a job, but 
I knew I couldn't. And yeah, I've always been self-employed, stroke unemployed, depending on which way you look at it. But my 20s, I was I had a, a brief time when I worked as a runner for a film company. That's the only salaried job I've ever had. But how were you surviving? Why did you, you know, keep the lights on? We often didn't. No, often didn't. Oh. I mean, I get a buzz still, and I really appreciate this. I get a buzz from walking into my flat and switching the lights on, and it works. Because we squatted. Squat? Yeah, we yeah. squatted for years. So I went uh. from... But that was a big thing. But, you know, is it still a big thing? I don't it, know. It was a big thing. I mean, it was I quite a posh thing. I loads of people that squatted. It's yeah. quite a posh thing. I got into squatting by going to the London School of Economics <laughs> and they had an office there, a squatter's advisory office. It's like, a, it's like going to some posh Notting Hill estate agent. It's like, well, you know, Brixton's on the up, but um, the Docklands or something. <laughs> Well, and they'd advise you where to find a building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been in a few, you know, maybe that's why, because I'm posh too, that I've been mm-hmm. in a few squats. I mean, there was that wonderful one that overlooked the Oval. Do you remember that one? That was great. They had the whole building and yeah. this amazing view. And they were in there 15 years and it was... You... We, we used to play, because uh, I was in a band in my 20s, we used to play the Greenwich uh, Fire Station and you would come down the pole onto the stage. Wow. Because the whole fire station had been squatted because it was closed down. So biggest failure, biggest fuck up. I mean, I got a contradictory response to that. One is a very therapist response, which is, well, there's no such thing as a fuck up. There's only a growth opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I also, and you know, I say this slightly tongue in cheek, but it's also the the absolute truth. I think most of my, uh, I, I, I work with a lot of people in the arts. What qualifies me is I failed in all of them. <laughs> so when I left school, I had a theatre company, which actually was very successful momentarily, but ultimately went nowhere. Then uh, I went to art school and I flunked out of that. Then I went into the film business and got fired and, and flunked out of that. I had a band which never really got signed. Or, what was the band know, called? We were called Bruce Wayne and the Batniks. Nice. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we toured... <laughs> That's got a good name. We, we toured around for about six years, but it was the 80s. No one wanted a rock and roll band. It was all, you know, yeah. pop digital stuff that Andy's probably into. Um, <laughs> Hip hop <laughs> from the 90s. <laughs> um, so that didn't really go anywhere. Um, and I think all those failures really you know, if I'd been successful in them, how would I understand the struggle of what it is to be in the arts or in in, in media or the creative Yeah, because you know, you'd just be field. one of those people that makes everybody else sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't have many regrets in that sense. Uh, in fact, what I, yeah, I, I like that I experienced all those things and I tried them out and it's given me an appreciation and an admiration. Like Prince Charles, you know, I'm, not, I'm a very, even though I went to school in Windsor Castle, I'm really not a royalist. Um, and he, I worked in Windsor Castle and I'm a Republican. <laughs> so but I mean, he got a kicking, didn't he? Probably 10 years ago now, because when X Factor and those kind of programs came out, he said something about, well, you know, all these people, they feel entitled to their 50 minutes. And people are like, you can't say that. You're shattering people's dreams. I think fucking damn right. Yeah. No one is entitled yeah. to be a pop star. No one is entitled to their 15 minutes. And whether you okay, like... But Prince Charles bands, cannot talk about entitlement. No, but I think he had a point. <laughs> yeah. I do think he had a point that there is a sense of entitlement that people don't understand you need to be phenomenally talented. Now, whether you like Boyzone or the Spice Girls or any of these prefab bands, which I don't, I like the mm. Rolling Stones, I'm mm. old school, but whether you like them or not, it takes a fuckload of energy, commitment and talent 
to, even if, if everything's auto-tuned or whatever, you've got to get up and you've got to go to the dance studio and you've got to learn your choreography and you've got to learn to mime, if nothing else, and you've got to have your hair done. It takes a lot. You can't just show up and feel like, what, where's, my, where's my go at being a pop star? You, your point you're making is you've tried all these different creative pursuits and you failed. Well, by the way, I mean, they're the toughest, some of the toughest businesses in the world, man. All of the ones you're talking about, you know, music or theatre. You know, you can train to be an accountant. I'm not going to say anyone can do it because, again, you need certain means. If you didn't go to university, there's a longer route. But intelligence-wise, you don't need to be fucking Einstein. I mean, it's probably helps no, if, if you're not if, terrified of If my, if my dream had been to work in a post office, yeah. I might have achieved that. Anyone could be an accountant and you can be an average. You not can me, be, you, not me. Well, you can be... <laughs> not me either. Or, or, well, it's, there's a few jobs like that and you can be an average one and you'll have clients and they'll, they'll think you're good or they'll be happy with your service. You know, in music, you cannot be average. You know, you've got to be... Fucking, you know, music is either, every time you hear a song, it's either amazing or it's shit. You go to a play, it's either amazing or it's shit. It either engages and it means something and you're in the moment or you're so fucking bored and need a piss. And so all of those industries you picked are just... I think this might be just you again. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's true. It's you, you failed at them, but I think you ran, you ran your face straight into a wall of like, you know, the toughest things to go and do. But, you know... Um, yeah, anyway. I was trying to cheer you up, but I just got abuse. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, well, you should be fucking what? miserable about it. You lose I, I also, I also got, got thrown out of the psychotherapy world in a big shitstorm. And I remember someone saying to me, oh, you know, you really fucked your life up. I said I didn't. I deconstructed it in a messy way and without being very conscious. But I do think, uh, isn't really answering your question. I do think I'm quite good at turning failure into success. And so I just read, again, it wasn't particularly thought out or conscious, but I rebranded myself as this kind of renegade therapist. It's like, well, I didn't want to be part of your fucking institution anyway. And I'm going to not going to be part of an institution yeah. that would have me. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I, I don't really believe in failure in that sense. What do you, I mean, what do you find most difficult about being a therapist? Mm, I don't find it very difficult. Yeah, oh. I'm very picky about who I work with. Are you? Well, you meet them once and then you say, sorry, this can't happen again kind of thing? Or... Yeah, I, I, I probably turn down a third of people, maybe more. I mean, I've got a good system, which is generally word of mouth. That's how people come to me. So the selection process is already done. Half done, yeah. Um, but no, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm picky. And because I've got that system down, it was an awful job for the first three or four years because I took anyone and everyone because I thought that's what you had to do. Mm. I thought the therapist... Like a cap rank rule. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought your duty as a therapist was to accept everyone. And then I realised I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the worst therapist in the world for some people. If we don't that's click... Sure. You know, yeah. It's, it's, Isn't that weird? You should click with therapists then. That, that, that's important. I mean, that makes sense to me, but there's almost you feel there should be a distance. But therefore, it's just like any professional Well, it, in some therapies, there is a distance. That's the, that's the basis of it. It's not my way of doing things. Yeah, yeah. Do you not, do you ever, because it sounds like you have quite a punishing schedule with your three-hour sessions and, and, and all that. Do you not sort of get that thing that if there's a lot of emotions swirling around, et cetera, that they blow back on you or you no you because can... I, w I went to public school and I'm dead inside <laughs> oh okay yeah <laughs> no there's some truth to that that's how life should be what do you think is most misunderstood about being a therapist 
Oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know much about therapists. You call it gonzo therapy to the point of view because gonzo, I forget who he was now. He's like the crazy yeah, man. Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I've nicked. I've, I've taken like the dangerous therapist thing. People have said it about me. But gonzo, yeah, I like gonzo. I mean, gonzo journalism, he would go into a situation and become part of the story. He would even make the story, you know, by... Taking a lot of drugs. Taking a lot of drugs, there's a famous one where he went to the Kentucky Derby and, you know, it was a boring story to cover, so he went to the bar and said that the Black Panthers were going to raid the place later and, and stirred up oh, all the rednecks, and then that yeah. be, that became the story. So I love that, and someone called me a gonzo therapist, and I think it's because I, I get much more involved than your kind of standard... Well, you give advice, which is, uh, uh, I hate, I'm sorry for those of them out there that think it's the right way to do it, but if you go, if you go to someone, a therapist or whatever, and they just listen to your story and go... Well, you know, I'm really sorry. You know, it wasn't about getting off my chest. You know, I want. I've heard other people say this to me too. Like, oh, I've met this person. They give great. Oh, my friend um, Chaz was saying this. Him and his wife have been getting a bit of help. And yeah, he was saying, do you know what I really, really like about her? And I was like, she gives you fucking advice. She tells you something to do, and she says, this is what you should do. And it's like, it's like for professionals, you yeah, come for advice. I was going to say, it's exactly the same as accountants and lawyers. The worst lawyers in the world are the ones where you say, we've got this issue, and they say, well, on the one hand, you could do this, and on the other hand, you could do that. You don't even get like, that from a fucking sake, therapist. Just tell us what we should be doing. And, yeah, you yeah. know, I understand that people are nervous about kind of giving that kind of level of advice, particularly lawyers. But the least you can do is say, in my experience, you would be better off doing X. Do you, um, are you aware of this um, sort of, you know, this concept of like emotional intelligence? So they, what in business, what they try and argue is, um, and a client does it and they're, they're leaders in their field is, you know, you've got your IQ um, and you've got something else. I can't remember now. You've got your IQ, you've got your, maybe it's your personality, but your emotional intelligence and they're kind of quite fixed. Um, you've got your knowledge, you've got your IQ, and these are things you've built up and they're what they are. But your emotional intelligence is something you can fix quite quickly. And actually, having done some of this stuff, it's quite good because a lot of, I don't want to call it semantics, but a lot of it is being someone identifying something in you that you think is personality and sort of and maybe just giving it a name that, oh, this is, this is you being, you know, I'm trying to think of a good example, but, you know, aggressive. This is, this is a type of an aggression or something. And you're like, oh, is it? Uh, you know, I hadn't even thought about that. But then you read a little bit about it and it's like, it gives you a bit more context. It's nothing personal. It's like, oh, this is a trait that humans have. You know, humans do these things in this situation. So you just learn some of these cues. And it, I have to say, yeah, it is... It is quite helpful and stuff. I mean, is that a field you're you're aware of or dealing at all? Do you know what I mean? In a, it's a more, I don't know. It's called emotional intelligence. Does that mean anything to you? Not much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all these terms. I mean, I'm so far from academic. I'm so unlearned. These these words, these phrases. You know, people talk about CBT and person centered. I don't fucking know what any of it means, really. I don't care. I, and I remember talking to my accountant years ago, going, I don't know whether to call myself a psychotherapist or a coach. She was like, you're just Jerry Hyde. That's why people come mm. to you. And Oh, wow. It was so I, said, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's how I try and operate. And it's, I mean, you know, one of my favorite quotes of all time, most precious bits of wisdom perhaps that I've ever learned is not from Freud or Jung or any of these people. It's Keith Moon who someone um, who said, uh, I think it was, 
I'm the greatest Keith Moon style drummer in the world. And I thought that will yeah. do. That's all yeah. I have to be. Yeah. I just have to be the greatest Jerry Hyde type yeah. therapist, gonzo therapist. And sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not, but on a good day, that that's always the goal. And it's I like it because it's not competitive. It's not I'm not comparing myself to some other therapist or some yeah, other yeah. coach yeah, or something. Yeah. Just trying to do what I do in my own way to my best ability. And that's my business model, if you want to put it in that that context. That really appeals to me because I can totally see the parallels. Don't know about Andy, but yeah, yeah. certainly in terms of my practice as a lawyer. The thing that I sell myself on mostly just because it's happened that way is I can never remember the three-letter acronyms for shit. I can't do business speak at all because I can never remember what you're supposed to say. So I literally just say what I'm thinking in as simple a way as I can put it. And, I, you know, my clients are always like, we like you because you don't sound like a lawyer. Mm. No. Maybe people like you because you don't sound like a therapist. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I try and be a translator. I try not to use lingo and... But people really, you know, people think that that's what you have to do. That's the problem. People think that by using the kind of business speak and the, you know... Um, yeah, people are frightened. People are frightened to go off piste, aren't they? I mean, mm. I get I get therapists who are fresh out of Regents College or somewhere. They've just spent their fifty grand on their bit of paper, and they'll come to me and say, how, how, to their yeah, "How do we work with plant medicine? We'd really like to do what you do." And I say, "We'll give you a bit of paper back." And they go, "But we don't want to. We just got it." And I'm like, "Well, then don't. I mean, you 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 can't." be in the system and outside the system. Do you think that will change within a decade or...? Yeah, I think so. I think it's heading in that direction. I don't think people like me will ever be allowed to practice that kind of <laughs> Because you did therapy. it before, so therefore... Well, because you'll have to go and do a training that right. fits a certain criteria. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that's wrong. I think that, you know, it's a, it's a dangerous field and people do need to be trained. Um, but people, people are very attached. They think they need their bit of paper in order to fit into something and I think you just need to do good practice whatever you yeah. do <laughs> what do you think is um most misunderstood about therapy I think I mean my my greatest misunderstanding and is I'm probably not alone is I when I first went I thought well I'll go and see someone for a couple of sessions and so get sorted you know sort my problems out. it'll be done it'll be done someone will fix me you know two or three sessions and I'll be fixed and I'm still there 30 years later I'm not very interested in change. I think people think that you you go to therapy and someone will change you. Fix you. Yeah. You you're going to change anyway. Um and they've you know they've they've thrown tons of money at done research where they've put a bunch of people in therapy and a bunch of people who weren't and they've all been more or less the same after 6 months. But I think the the point for me is is it's not about change in conventionally perceived idea it's about having greater self-awareness and then making different choices yeah. which you could argue is yeah okay that's change, fair enough but, you know. that's a good advert for it though no that you're saying there is a reason to do it it's yeah, just yeah, not yeah. that going to be somebody externally is going to fix you no you're going to kind of no fix but the more yourself. you know about yourself the more you understand yourself the more i find i can make different choices i can have a mantrum you know, I can yeah. throw all my toys out. I, I can have you know, behave like like the three year old that I am desperately hiding from the world, or I can make a different choice. You know, well, for for me in that example, I can I can I can really have tantrums, or I can take a bit more responsibility and say to you know, my partner because that's who I tend to have tantrums with. This is what's going on for me, and 
rather than take it out on you. I'm just going to explain how I'm feeling. But it hasn't stopped me from having all those painful feelings. feelings. They yeah. didn't go away. Therapists didn't fix them. I just had, I learned a different language to describe what was happening. You fixed um, yourself. Yeah, no, I wouldn't even go that far. <laughs> You've made me, um, I always I always think we're all contradictions. Like, And, that, and that's that, you know, there's this, this version of you which is pretty horrible and shitty and nasty and then you're desperately trying not to be that person. And you just said a similar thing about, you know, desperately not trying to be my three-year-old tantrum toddler. Maybe that, that's helped me because I've always wondered, well, who is this devil? Who's this like animal inside me or something? But in a way, maybe that's the answer. It's the young you, it's the... It's the, it, all that's happened is these layers have built up on top of you of this sort of adult version. And the reason you're always working on it is you're always trying to add these layers because you were a little bastard when you were three years old, you know? But that's, that's another misunderstanding, perhaps not about therapy, but culturally a misunderstanding, This, which I totally dismiss, this idea of the true self. And you'll often mm. meet people going, well, yeah, I just want to get to my true self. Yeah, it doesn't fucking myself. exist. Good luck, man. You're never going to get there because we're all multiple personalities. And the yeah. guy who wrote the uh, Psychedelic Explorer's Guide just did a new book called Symphony of Selves. And he makes a really interesting point. He says, we, we more or less, we all accept the idea that there's something called multiple personality disorder, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we know. It's a thing. But you can't have a disorder without an order. Therefore, there must be such a thing as multiple personality order. And yeah. his argument, which I've been arguing for years as well, is we are all multiple. You know, there's dozens, there's sure. dozens mm. of us. And who I am with you is going to be different to who I am with my kids and who I am with my lover and who yeah. I am with my mum and, you know, who and I am in certain settings, strangely, you know? It's like it's not just triggered by people, certain situations and settings. You know, I'm about to fucking finally go on holiday. And I was thinking about it. I was thinking, oh, why do it's going to be with kids? It's going to be exhausting. But I was like, no, I know how I feel, how I am when why I'm in that situation. Why are you going on holiday with some kind of kids club where you can hand the kids oh, over? No. That's what you should be doing. When they're very it's young. Boarding, boarding school. Yeah, yeah. Just send them away, get some little man to look after. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Ori Clark got its start back in 1935. And while the world has changed a bit, it's more than just survived. From complying with the FCA and all things financy, they can also speak fluently in the language of legalese. Ori Clark was born and raised right here in the UK And now for 20 years they've been helping others get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide Straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935 Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram and at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. What's the hardest thing about what you do then? You've just said it's really quite easy and you love it. It's not easy, but I've done it for a long time. So I've kind of got my thing down. Uh, I, I've, you know, my stamina, I can get tired. I can get exhausted. Must be fucking exhausted. annoying listening to people shit all day some days. When you're not in the mood. Must no, I don't know that I'm ever not in the mood. But like I said, my business didn't work. You know, bring it back to business, right? I did four years, three or four years. I'd spent however God knows how many tens of thousands training. There was nothing else I knew what to do with my life at that point. And I hated it. 
because I thought I had to accept everyone. And then one day a guy walked in and we just had the best session and I felt, rather than feeling exhausted and depleted, I felt energized. And I thought, why can't all my clients be like that? And I was like, they could be. Yeah, who says they can't be? And I started saying no to people and it felt like a really bad business idea because I was broke and had very few clients and the idea of saying no when I was in that position felt insane but I started saying no and saying I only work with these kind of people and I got exclusive and I've never looked back it just it just boomed from from then because on because the weird so. thing in business is if you say you if you I open find to every so if you hard to say no but you know it's you should Pippa because you're a fucking talent and when you say no it's the most powerful thing because people hate to be told no and and by saying no, you just the quality starts coming to you. I don't know what it is about it. It's like by by if you try and cater to everybody, you cater to no one. But if you say, This is where I stand, these are the kind of people I like to work with. So I'm not gonna work with you. But having said that, and 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 I'm not even being um biased, like I mean, almost all our clients are wicked. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Like I, yeah. I there's a couple of people I work with who I find either very challenging because they're so intellectually clever and able and I'm actually quite intimidated by them and I'm quite scared of them or they just don't have enough sense of humor for me so I find I I struggle to pretend I'm someone who doesn't have a ridiculous sense of humor so is it like I just want to make stupid jokes and stuff and as long as they pay the bills and then they're not nasty you know but but generally speaking you're probably pickier than you realize that you're already mm. in a good place you have to take it seriously i no, mean you, no, you, god i don't can, can people tell you something you see my you, website yeah but you can't burst into laughter when they start yeah, i can, can i can and i do often and i remember taking that to my supervisor very early on because because <laughs> a guy came in uh, when i was running a domestic violence group uh which was super serious, and a guy came in, and he'd been doing really well in this program, and he had a face as, you know, just you could tell something, and I was like, what's wrong? And he was like, oh, you know, hit my girlfriend. I was like, oh, that's not good, is it? And, you know, and then he's like, yeah, and then I went to work, and um, he was a JCB driver, and he's like... Phew. I had such a shit day, I could have really done without running over that copper in my chest. <laughs> and I was on the fucking floor. I was, I'd, exactly that, exactly that response. And I went to my therapist, I was like, my God, this guy came and he'd run a fucking policeman. And, and I lost it completely. And, and he was like, if you, if you don't, you won't last long. Mm. You know, and humor is such an important part of what I do. And sometimes it's almost a clinical intervention because because if you if you laugh at someone with malice it's going to be awful but yeah, if yeah. you often someone will 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 say something and i'll just laugh and they go yeah i know it's just ridiculous isn't it yeah, so yeah. so it's a skill and, mm. and i think you have to be very careful it's, well, it's a form of communication isn't it you know and use well i mean i, I was um Watching my old man yeah, use it, you know, he's an old man now. He's been in a lot of meetings. He's practiced a lot of stuff. And I was watching how he, in a meeting of a lot of people, every time there was a sort of, it was getting a bit confusing in the conversation, he somehow found a slightly obtuse joke. So to make about the situation. So like um, if they were talking maybe that was too much work to go around, he'd be like, well, it's all right. I brought my overalls. And you'd be like, what? Like, but there was something you had to think about it for a moment, and it wasn't offensive to anyone. It was, and it wasn't actually that clear what he was saying. And it was sort of, 
they were very interesting. I was watching them do it the other day and I go, God, they're really interesting punctuation because they free up the conversation again. Everyone, so there's a bit of a laugh from some people. It's kind of like, yeah. what did you say? Like, and it was so, there was so, um, it's not a bad example, even though he didn't say that. It was so. Um, it greases the, yeah, the cogs of It wasn't like, oh, well, they're lazy bastards. It was just kind of like some sort of reference to like, we'll be all right, you know, we'll roll our sleep. I don't know. Anyway, but humour. But you know, I mean, look at how much. We should be proud of it. Look at how much we've laughed here. And this is no different to when I run a group or when I'm talking to someone individually. If there isn't a significant chunk of it where I'm laughing, I would have stopped years ago. What one thing would you like to change if you could about the future? The future we face. The world. The world. I don't know. I think power, the way we manage power. I think people need to be taught how to manage power because just grabbing it and then exploiting it for your own ends is going to take us to extinction rather Mm. quickly. So I think how we manage power, how we educate people to be in government, to be in politics, and I'm very good at coming up with kind of flippant, shallow solutions without really thinking how the fuck you do that because I don't know because a a Sufi friend of mine uh, said to me years ago, there are a lot of very good politicians out there, but you'll never hear of them. They're the people who just show up, do their job as well as they can and go home. And then there's the power-hungry ones who want to... You know how to play the game and go up the same And, and they're the kind of ruthless motherfuckers that are the least qualified people to run the planet. But, you know, somehow we've got to, you know, vote Russell Brand. I mean, really, I, you know, I want to see people like that. I want to see... People who yeah, don't Brown fit, would be fit the bill. In he's gone a bit mental though recently, hasn't he? Oh, he's great though. He's so I put fucking Joe Rogan. I don't care. You know, all of these people. No, 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 no. I, I listen. Trust me that he's. You know, if you're going to say Russell Brand, he says fucking controversial things, but he's open-minded. He's trying to talk about the topic. He's trying to get out there and just fucking you really, have it out. Yeah. He, you know, he got he got fired. He got fired from MTV for showing up dressed as Osama bin Laden the day after 9/11. <laughs> <laughs> he gets my vote. What's the best? I think we might have done this already, which was, um, my question was going to be, what's the best advice you've ever been given? But is it to be Keith Moon? No, it was back to humour. My grandfather, he said, you know, whatever you, you as long as you've got a sense of humour, then you know, fuck everything else. That's yeah. Like yeah, I'll go with that. I'll clap to that. that. That's pretty, I think that might be my mantra now. Um, okay, let's. We're now we're getting down to the nitty gritty. So uh, top three reads, pods or albums or combination of the above. Give us give us a selection of something. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Book. Uh, I, uh, Not yeah. film, film book. Film, yeah. film, Apocalypse Now or Performance by Nick Rogue and Donald Camel. What's performance? Performance is Mick Jagger and James Fox. It's fucking trippy. You should watch it. Wow. You'll love it. What do you like about Apocalypse Now? I really... uh, Performance and Apocalypse Now are the same film thematically for me in that they really deconstruct the idea that there's good or bad, which is something we haven't talked about today, but, you know, that whole shadow thing of... Us all trying to be nice people or pretend to be nice people. It's not, you know, Jung said, do you want to be good or asked? Do you want to be good or whole? So the film's about wholeness to me. And if there's a goal to therapy, it's it's to be whole, which means you've got to look at what a complete fucking arsehole you can be, what a, what a saint you can be, what a sinner you can be, and everything that comes in between. And they're films that explore uh, those those kind of ideas for me. And you, when I watch Apocalypse Now, I come out of it and go, oh my God, yeah, the good guys really aren't. I think, who is it? Um, 
the Australian journalist, his name's uh, gone out of my mind. It doesn't matter. But he said, "Have you ever realized? Have you ever considered maybe we're not the good guys?" Yeah. Okay. Do we? What did we do? We did a couple of films there. Yeah, that's good. You got pods? any others? Pods? Anything? Podcasts? Yeah, Rogan. Sorry. Oh uh, yes, I thought you were criticizing it too. I love anti-vaxxing. Is that really you, something we re- want to get behind? No, no. You know, you don't knock it till you tried it. So try, try, try listening to him, and then let's chat. What I like about Rogan is I don't agree. I don't agree with a lot of his what he says. Yeah. I wouldn't really want to hang out with him. Mm. I wouldn't be his friend. But I like that he is willing to have a very diverse crowd on. You know, even people that I find really offensive. Mm. He gives them a voice, and then as, as the listener, you can make your own mind up. Whereas if you just ban Alex Jones or these fucking, you know, lunatics that say appalling things, then that's back to the shadow, right? You just put them out of sight. And I think uh, the whole freedom of speech thing is a whole deplatforming thing, but... right? And I, I think it's difficult because I think it's fine... This is going to sound incredibly patriarchal and terrible, but I think it's fine for somebody like you who can make an, a, a, a reasonable judgment about these people. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people can't. And because they're presented on Joe Rogan, they're like, this is affirmation that this person is somebody I should be listening to. I think that to. is a danger, but I have to say with Joe Rogan, they are long, deep episodes. I think his audience is, is, is people who are attracted to it because of this openness and because of this ability to debate. And, and what, why I have a problem with um, everyone I know who doesn't like him hasn't actually listened to him. They've seen something, they heard something, they did da 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 No, 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 just, yeah, no, no, no. That's, and, and, and it was interesting, your response, because it's always the same response but sound bites is the problem and why we're doing a podcast right now is I don't like sound bites I want to I want to I want to have the time to talk about it and you know and he he of any fucking podcast each shows three hours long no interruptions no edits nothing and you talk about it waltz and all and fuck we're too scared to do that here we're going to edit the shit out of this I mean <laughs> I, probably, probably I got hope so three minutes. I, I you, we've only got about three minutes between uh, me not talking about drugs sex rock and roll Okay, so that brings us to our favorite part of the show, the business versus bullshit quick far round. D, cue the music. This is where we reel off a list of key terms and all you have to do is tell us whether you think it is business or bullshit. All clear? Are you ready? Diversity quotas. What? Diversity. I have no idea what that means. Oh, no, I do. I do. I know the answer to this. I know the answer to this one. Business or bullshit? Yes, it's a good thing. Yes, business. it should be. What? Business. Business or bullshit? Um, business. Business. I'm going to love this. I'm going to enjoy this so much. Um, these are things that you'll be unfamiliar with, and that's great about it. Stand up meetings. This is where people get together, and rather than sitting down, they stand up so the meeting's quicker. Uh, I'm a big advocate of lying down meetings. Bullshit, therefore. (laughs) Coffee. Yes. Yes. Business. Yes. Business. Business. It's the business. We just allowed him to say yes or no. (laughs) (laughs) Coffee, yes. We might be here a while. No, don't understand. Uh, Agendas. So that's a meeting agenda rather than political agenda. Bullshit. Bullshit. Hour-long meetings. Concept of a meeting must last an hour. No, bullshit. Careful with this. This one's important that you say the right thing. Uh Office dogs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
A business. Yeah. Oh, he's a therapist. Yeah. yeah. The first one. The first one to support you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Mandatory, I would say. Yes. Ugh. Carbon <laughs> credits. Don't know what it is. Good. Swearing in meetings. Fuck yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. This is where we normally swear in. <laughs> uh, pub lunches. Why not? <laughs> Quite right. You're going to have Quite no right. idea about the next one. Just uh, B Corps, which is a thing that's come out of America, which is the company should have a triple bottom line. It's actually a sort of, it's not just they should do that. It's a whole system and framework come up by Americans to try to sort of say how you should run your business better. Bullshit. Yeah, I set it up quite unfairly. Non-disclosure <laughs> agreements. Uh, what's that mean? You promise not to say something. So yeah, like if before you did your <laughs> before this. you did your film, right? Ah uh, no, bullshit. Correct. Mm. Correct. Well done. One thousand points. Mm. Unlimited vacations. Yeah. Yeah. That's mandatory. Mandatory. LinkedIn. <laughs> bullshit. Correct. Formal work clothes. <laughs> I think we can agree that's bullshit. I think we can. Excellent. That's the end of the quick far round. Okay, so this is where we give you 30 seconds to pitch your company, podcast, book, film, whatever you like. How can I listen to Make Me a Man? Uh, you can watch. Oh, sorry, Make watch. How can I you watch? Can watch Make Me a Man if you go to makemeaman.com. Where mm. you can, that seems easy. Yeah, uh, where you can download it, or you can get in touch with me and, and tell me that you've got your local cinema that wants to put it on because I'm really fucking embarrassed about England because France is France is doing better than England. That should that should inspire people. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> fighting, Harn- fighting, talk a thousand years of, of hatred. Now in France, it's been on the on a, the cinema in Paris, and it's been a, a kind of yeah, we've had a huge response there, and mostly because of me, because I don't do any marketing, and clearly I'm not very good at pitching, but there's been very little uh, uptake in, in the UK, so we're definitely looking for places to screen it. Described yeah. as poetic and powerful by Le Monde. Le Monde, Le Monde. yeah. Le Monde. Le Monde. Le Monde. Like, get up in the morning, Le Monde. I mean, the other thing is makemeaman.com. That's it. You might get a few visitors there looking for something else. <laughs> <laughs> and um, if our listeners want to find out more about you, Jerry, where yeah. do they go to do that? Jerryhide.co.uk. Okay, so there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit with a little bit of therapy. Thank you to Jerry for joining us. Thank you to my co-host, Pippa. Thank you to Dee, our producer, in the background, giggling. Uh, A big thank you to you, dear listener, and we'll be back with another episode next week. And in the meantime, please rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you'd like to listen to your podcast. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at B-I-Z without B-S, where you'll find more helpful, amusing, weird content. Until next time, it's ciao.